0: Welcome to the Serious TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and joining me once again for a trip back to hawkins because we ain't gonna be wasting time in russia comrades it's the master of pup tense no wait that that's not right i'm, I'm sorry the guy who's always running up that bill no wait that's not right <laughs> anyway i'm gonna stop this awful introduction before he goes his separate ways it's brian hey brian
1: <laughs> hey uh hey scott i'm glad to be here pulling your strings <laughs>
0: Come on, but you see, I, I I did a parody of three different songs from the show. You,
1: you did, you did. I mean, it, it was it was like Weird Al himself appeared.
0: This will literally be my high point in the podcast. I should stop it right now. <laughs> By the way, I love that Weird Al was was jokingly calling out Alanis Morissette yeah. <laughs> the other day with the whole. Um, the, the, the when she was commenting on the landscaping truck that said Alana's yeah. <laughs> Stay in your lane. I thought yeah. that was amazing. <laughs> anyway, we are back here to have the best conversation conceivable about a show that many of us may already be a little bit talked out about, but that's just the way that we roll here. We're getting back to those final two episodes of Stranger Things Season 4. Two episodes. Even though it kind of felt like Five episodes. <laughs> That's an issue I th- I feel we're going to broach perhaps at the end of this sucker. But but you know what you know what's more important than any of that, Brian. What's more important than any of that? Because I, we I, I, it's my ego <laughs> aggrandizement here. <laughs> because before we go anywhere or say anything else, I'm going to take a little mini victory lap. A sad one at that because, you know, <laughs> ooh, wow, you're 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 so prescient there. Did I pronounce that right? Don't care. I've mentioned a number of times over the years, and especially even in the last Stranger Things podcast, pretty much any time I've ever had any conversation about this damn show here, whether it be at you know the quote unquote STVD studios or just in, in real life, I've noticed that the duffers aren't just Stephen King fans, you know, from the font to all the numerous nods and winks and whatnot. But there's so many parallels and even the idea of a parallel universe to be found between Stranger Things and the Stephen King book. I mean, yeah, he wrote it with Peter Straub, but you know what I mean. The book, The Talisman, and I, I believe I mentioned it in a, in a very last podcast. And what is the book that Lucas has bizarrely chosen to read to the unconscious max towards the very end of the season? It's the talisman. When I was hearing the words before I saw the book cover, I'm like, wait a minute. Is he? That sounds like, <laughs> then I saw I like, oh, look, it's a talisman. It's even got the damn font. Anyway.
1: No, I, I think that, uh, I think that you've now joined Dan with his prediction uh, in Better Call Saul (laughs) on the pantheon of all-time STVD prescient statements. So you can now add your name to the Wall of Fame.
0: I'll still rank his higher because his his was far more important story-wise. And I think also, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I don't know if it's just, quote-unquote, I keep saying, quote-unquote, oh, that's going to be a bad habit tonight. Uh, I don't know if it's... Solely a rumor or if it's actually ever been confirmed. I don't know if it's one of those, you know, in development things. I think the Duffer brothers are actually supposedly going to be adapting the talisman for Netflix. I don't oh, know. Oh, that sounds amazing. I don't know if Spielberg is going to be involved or not because he has been attached to that property forever. That's just never gotten off the ground. Although I love the idea if he does at least, you know, executive or produce it or something because they get to work with, that means they will get to work with Stephen King and Steven Spielberg who are obviously the two biggest influences on Stranger Things so it's going to it would
1: amazing. be it would be super cool if they did that and uh Spielberg pulled a fincher and like did the first episode like directed the first episode or something that would be amazing oh wow
0: Spielberg returning to return to direct a TV episode or something like What's well, the last time he did that. Probably Amazing Stories, maybe. I don't know if he's ever directed another TV thing since. Of course, I go all the way back to that Columbo episode. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he, did. he did. And that Night Gallery one, but the Columbo one's better. Anyway, let's get back to Stranger Things. Um, okay, I'm going to try not to be typical Scott and do a complete scene-by-scene recap of these two. So I'll try to condense it a little bit here. Even though every time I say that, it, <laughs> I do the opposite. <laughs> So will kind of, i I'm gonna try to do a little bit of a bullet point kind of thing here. You know, there'll be some wise assery in here, I'm sure as well. And then as we proceed, you know, obviously we'll chat, but we're gonna get, we're gonna get really for everyone out there. We're probably gonna really get into like different topics that cover both episodes together. Um, so let's. And, Let's try to. I just didn't want to do a total recap thing. Is what I meant, anyway. Uh, which is also the worst remake, make you know, of Total Recall ever. Anyway, so <laughs> get your ass back to Miles' recap. <laughs> anyway, episode eight. Episode eight was Papa. Luckily, this one is really fairly easy to sum up. You know, basically, after Nancy gets away from Vecna and tells everyone what she went through, the kids determine since it's the fourth season. <laughs> It's all about the number four. Because four chimes of the clock spells doom. Four gates are gonna be open across the world. We're gonna get our first glimpse of a Fantastic Four member in a Doctor Strange. Wait, they didn't know about that. Uh, they come <laughs> up with a major multi-moving part plan to take on Vecna. With a major component of it being using Max as bait to lure, um, you know, Swamp Thing Stunt out or something. <laughs> I'm sorry, every time I look at him, I keep thinking, it's Swamp Thing. Anyway, um, so that, that's like, you, you got the plan aspect of the episode. And, I'll, by the way, I, I can stop the recap here. Just, that's one of my favorite things about this episode is the, the, the whole plan thing. Um, I think the two of us, we've watched enough shows, even recently, it's always these really half baked plans that don't seem to have much in the way of strategy involved in shows that we watch like on uh, recent podcasting shows like Umbrella Academy and the Boys are both guilty of this. But the plan cooked up by this little Hawkins collective Um and, and, and keep in mind, they didn't they weren't even aware of Eleven's involvement, which just added extra layers of complication to the plan. It's um it's pretty impressive the way they pulled that off. I really admired the way, not only the, the thought that went into it, but they used almost all the characters in a fairly significant role. You know, Almost all of them. Not one of them, but almost all
1: of them. Yeah, I, I like, and to add to that, hmm? not only did I like that all the characters were headed towards the same goal, so it wasn't people doing separate stuff, at least among the core group. Right. Uh, but, but, I liked the pairings that they split the characters into. I thought they really paired the group off in a, in a really effective way. And I thought the characters worked well within each of their subgroups. Yes. And I thought it was very, very effective.
0: And I liked that because the, 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 the pairing off or the grouping, it, none of it was random. And it was, again, that's why I thought it was like a really well done plan. I was like, okay, this actually makes sense. It makes sense that these two. It makes sense that you would have Lucas with Max here, or yep. that Steve and Nancy and um, Robin would be doing this part, whatever. Or you put Eddie and Dustin together, whatever. Like I said, my only issue with with the whole thing, which I'll you know, I'll bring it up now since we're here. It's like, and maybe you can inform me because I again, it's been a couple weeks, so maybe I forgot. I couldn't really get a full handle on what Erica was doing in this plan. I get. She's in the playground, and she can. And so she conceived to the windows of the uh, Creel house, right? Creel is the name, right? Yeah. So they would communicate with each other by flashlight. And if so, was it if she thought that they were ready or set up? She would then signal. Was that when? Is that her signal, yes. like Eddie and and Dustin? To go to go flip to the upside down to take to to take on to get, deal with the bats is that what – that was that her sole uh,
1: her, her yeah her job was basically to communicate like that that parts of the plan were working or in place between. The groups that that she was sort of she was sort of the signal master.
0: Okay, all right, all right, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. It's fine. I, I just at the, at the time when I was when I was trying to remember and I didn't feel like rewinding it back. It's like uh, I'm not going through all this again. It's like, wait, what was the point of Erica again? I know those I know those idiots are chasing her at one point, and that felt really uncomfortable. Anyway, so <laughs> but I really like the plan. Good plan. However, meanwhile, back in Russia you 've got hopper and Joyce and Murray and those two Ivans whatever whatever their names are Yuri and Mikhail or something or Antonnov whatever um, I don't I don't care what their names are basically I guess they escape from prison which really seems more than a simple prison with all the science-y stuff and all the upside down creatures being pickled like they were auditioning for the next aliens movie or something or wait or did they break in or was it the le- I don't know they're always either breaking in or breaking in out of that prison I was just enough of this storyline already it was and and even their part as far as the plan was always like, does that really have anything to do with what's going on with the kids in Hawkins? I wasn't really clear about that. I mean, that there was really that strong connection between Vecna and the Demogorgon or whatever, the Flayer, or whatever. Anyway, the major storyline in this episode, one that we would, I think we should be talking about, is all about Eleven. She's got her powers back, and she's she's almost better than ever to everyone but Brenner. She learns of the gang's plan back in Hawkins, so she makes uh, Paul Reiser's character, Dr. Owens, she makes him agree to bring her back to Hawkins. But Brenner, who I we already know throughout this entire series, and not, not to mention previous seasons, he's not a good guy. <laughs> but I love that he's the classic bad guy who thinks he's a good guy i, I the, which I always find more believable than the bad guys who are just doing it just to be bad, like you know you know outside of a joker character, I always find, oh no, you're not, you know, you so, know that's so it makes Brenner that much more of an interesting character, I think you know like, what's the what's the story we' we're, we're all the hero in our own story, right, but we might right. be the villain in someone else's or something it, it, it,
1: i I do like the the complexity of him, though, that even as a guy who ends up doing mostly bad things. That that at any juncture he he does struggle with it that that it's not you know reflexively him just doing things that that he's oftentimes convincing himself he's doing the right thing um, and and there's a sort of a that's much more believable to me than the, the villain who's one hundred percent confident they're being right um, that that that. To me, like there, there was some struggle and internal conflict with him that that I met, found the character more compelling than being drawn in two dimensions.
0: Right, I think I think that was the case with most of the things that were involving Eleven herself, um, absolutely. And that I mean, and that's what the main thing that we're going to be caring about as far as you know the, the storyline that we're following on the show. Um, I didn't get that sense that <laughs> he was like that. With all the other kids in the lab way back when. Right. And, or especially with Henry and, or number one, or I shouldn't say it's just one, not number one, right? Nah, it's number one. Fuck that. I don't care. Anyway, he screws up the whole plan. He whisks Owen away to be cuffed to a radiator uh, for like one more major scene, and I guess we'll never see him again. But we also learned that Brenner had been using 11 to try to bring back uh, that number one I just mentioned back from the upside down. But everybody's plans, first Owen's and Brenner's plans, all get trashed when that army dude, Sullivan, he shows up. He he basically has his guys just kill the heck out of everyone else. And I kept thinking, so wait, these are all kind of members of the military and they're killing each other. That's, wow. He's killing a lot more people than he thinks Eleven is responsible for killing (laughs) Is anyone realizing that? (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. And and I thought, that, you know, thinking back to one of those scenes, and I'm curious if you thought this, I thought one of the scenes in the lab was almost intentionally staged like the, the, the initial attack on the rebels in Star Wars. Yes. When they're in that corridor and mm-hmm. sort of the the lab guys all get in position and then here come the army guys like stormtroopers yep. down that hall
0: yeah you're right you're absolutely right it, it did it did have that opening a star wars scene kind of feeling and especially because i think a lot of them you know because they were, they were in the lab you had the other films like they're kind of i don't know if they're actually wearing white or it just feels like they were they were they weren't wearing those dorky helmets anyway <laughs> so i don't know the whole thing just you know i'm imagining uh the worst spinoff possible where basically there has to be some sort of congressional commission or committee that has to look into all this because it's you know complete overkill
1: yeah, totally. Uh,
0: both figur- figuratively and literally, as I like to say. But through all that, yeah, pretty much everyone gets, almost everyone gets killed. We don't actually ever see whatever happens to Owens, ever, which kind of, by the way, to, to this day, annoys me. It annoys me that I didn't, I'm like, wait, so what happens to him? I, I do I have to wait till season five for, for that? You know, does he does he go, does he do a bad version of my two dads? What's going to happen? Um, <laughs> but even Brenner himself gets shot as he's trying to escape with Eleven. But once we're upstairs outside, Eleven gets even more pissed off. She brings down a helicopter. But the the key moment there is that she doesn't forgive Brenner, despite he's pleading with her, literally with his, oh, I said literally again. With his final breath still doesn't forgive him. And I was like, yeah. And then the perfectly timed pizza van shows up and takes her away. You
1: know? Which, which is, is great. Also, you see, I mean, there, she's going through a lot of emotions at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't black and white. Like she didn't walk over and gloat over him, but, but she sort of acknowledged his apology but didn't give him the satisfaction of accepting it, um, and and really, really, you know, we see these kids grow up, and her acting has come a long way, and the acting that she does there with him, and the you know his death scene, it was was really really strong.
0: Yes, it, it was definitely one of the uh, high points for her throughout the entire series, um, and and and. Millie ain't half bad. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give her credit, especially in this bunch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sensing something later for the podcast. No, 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 no. I don't have any issues with anyone's acting in the thing. So, I mean, that's pretty... To me, that's pretty much it for the episode, generally speaking. I mean, yeah... You know, I think the significant thing, you know, is that you know we kind of bring we finally. I feel we finally bring a complete close to all the the lab rat storylines for Stranger Things. You know, because we know there's going to be another season. I think we're done with it. Uh, other than the fact that we never know what happens to uh, Owens, or whatever. Um, I'm still, bo- I'm still bothered about that. But other than that, I think it's fine.
1: Well, it's, it's it is the renaissance of Paul Roser, You know, with that's right with that and the boys he's you know had two prominent roles in cultural relevant shows and it's good it's good to see
0: him i've oh i've always even though i never i never cared that much for Matt about you i've always liked paul riser so yeah there you go all right so back to the recap that's not a recap but come on it's kind of a recap so let me quickly saddle up at the final episode which was the piggyback I at least love that phrase piggyback so the kids put the plan into action. And we spend significant time toggling between, you know, Steve, Nancy, and Robin as they head to the upside down version of the Creel House, which I guess is essentially we you know as the birthplace of Vecna. And in the real world, that's where Lucas and Max are staging their Vecna seance, so to speak, to distract him with her life. Because now she's finally turned off that goddamn Kate Bush song. Um, oh, by the way kind of it kind of it almost negates my uh talisman thing i'll I'll have to admit kind of disappointed that we never either got the batteries going dead or like i think you would I think you would suggest it, like the tape getting tangled up which would have been mm-hmm. even more even better actually than the batteries i did because we all had that happen when we had had cassette tapes mm-hmm. you know? so the closest we got was like that jerky jason smashing it or something yeah that's kind of Anyway, while that's going on, (laughs) uh, Dustin and Eddie suit up to take on the heavy metal bats in the Upside Down. And while outside the Creel House, as we mentioned before, Erica is stationed at that playground. We already covered what she was doing there. Um, You know, I don't think there's a lot to talk about as far as, you know, like the Steve, Nancy, and Robin stuff. You know, they talk. Robin's silly. They get to the house. And then they get choked for the, it seems like for the next half hour or so. Um, I think the fun stuff is definitely the Eddie and Dustin versus the bats. I mean, I think of the final episode, if not the, you know, uh, I think there's like two iconic moments in the series, in in the season that are both tied strongly to music. Obviously, you had the episode four thing with Max and the use of uh, the Kate Bush song. And of course, here, you've got the use of the Metallica song when they're taking on the Bats. And since I like to defer to you in 99% of musical matters, uh, I was curious on your take on that before we even go any further. Because oh, regardless of whether you're a fan of the band or not, or you're just... The way it was used, and the you know, and the appropriateness of using that song at that period of time, and oh no, that song only came out two weeks ago. How did he learn how to play it? Yes, I'm mocking a a a fellow podcaster who's not here. Because that was her. I heard that was one of her issues. So I was like, really? That, that's your issue? Huh? Anyway, I'll let you talk now.
1: <laughs> well, I will say, I will say, uh, uh, I'll pull the curtain back to the personal life of your favorite podcaster that's not Scott. Um, I saw Metallica from the ninth row at the Charleston uh, Auditorium on the Anne Justice for All tour uh with with an excellent opener, The Cult, who was touring under Sonic Temple at that time. Um, so this was right up my alley. Uh, you know, as I went to college, Metallica made the Black Album and alienated a lot of fans because they sort of went away from the Master of Puppets and Justice for All era. Uh, but for this time frame, for a guy with a D.O. patch, you know, given to him, as I said before, by the D.O. family estate... Uh, there are videos of him. If you haven't seen him, like actually practicing to play this, uh, they released some video of him practicing it. Uh, the guitar, uh, maker, uh, I don't remember if he had a Jackson, I think it was a Jackson guitar. I could be wrong if I'm wrong. Don't skewer me. Uh, but he, uh, uh, they really, they're releasing limited runs of stranger things, guitars, uh, You know, based on that, and I know that because I'm a guitar player, and uh, he did a good job. I thought that that scene perfectly threaded the needle of amazing, epic, and hilarious, which is hard to pull off. Because sometimes when you straddle those worlds, it either looks too serious for its own good, or it looks cheesy trying to be serious. And I thought that it was amazing uh, I absolutely loved it. And I believe that character would like that band. I believe that, that he would like that music and I, I whatever you, you know, want to talk about the appropriateness. This was the time frame of that period of Metallica.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Metallica signed off on it. Um, they were wholly supportive uh, and they're, they're not super whores of their music like some people. Uh, and, and we know from based on our youth that uh, they're not big fans of people stealing music. And probably if people had listened to them more, maybe musicians would be paid to make a living now instead of just being forced to give their music away for, you know, one one thousandth of a cent, a stream or something. But, uh, you know, they supported it. They loved it. They released a video of themselves jamming along to it, the clip. Uh, so I thought for that portion, the beauty of this show is it sort of has served all these different 80s communities of people. That, that if you were a d geek, this show spoke to you. If you were, you know, just an outsider kid, this show spoke to you. Now, like this season, they brought in like the eighties metal heads, the guy that wore jean jackets. And, you know, back when I was in school, I went to the smoking area. If you can believe that in high school, we had a smoking area. Uh, this show has, has sort of given little bits and pieces to all these different groups of kids, uh, that see themselves back in the eighties as those kids and being both a a metal fan, a D and D guy, um, and also, you know, playing sports, uh, you know, I sort of had my toe in all those worlds and it touched on all of that. And, uh, my kid who doesn't like D and D who's, you know, not a, a fan of anything that has real instruments on it, uh, you know, but as a basketball player loves this show. Uh, so I think, uh, I, I mean, Eddie Munson was an amazing single season character that that will live on. And that scene, that and the, the Max scene with Kate Bush uh, prompted me to say that the Duffer brothers are not perfect filmmakers. They're really good filmmakers. But boy, do these guys know how to use music. And we'd said that after Kate Bush. But this was like another take on using music and they use it in a completely different way then they used uh, Kate Bush's song uh, and he used it in a brilliant way that I thought just absolutely threaded the needle and was perfect.
0: And once again, they do something where um, based on the, uh, the set direction, the cinematography and the use of color and everything, again, looks like it could have been uh, any number of album covers. we saw in like the late 70s into the 80s which that sequence kind of reminded me of um by the way i have actually i actually did see metallica in concert as well um i saw them on the tour in 92 i think it was 91 or 92 um it was uh that was the black album faith no more metallica guns and roses
1: yeah i was
0: there to see guns and roses I did not really know much about Metallica. I knew who they were. I knew a couple. I'd seen a couple of their songs on on the MTV or something. Um, but I was I was actually more interested in Faith No More, quite frankly. And I and they were playing in the daylight, then Metallica played after them, and then the entire stadium. I felt like i was at a hitler youth rally for a little while there with everyone like shaking, putting their arm i just did a video thing and this is an audio podcast it makes no sense um <laughs> but they were all like saluting with their arms like there were romulans or nazis or something to like uh, seek and destroy or something and i'm like i'm like you know you know 20 something year old little jewish guy going i don't feel really safe right now <laughs> um but then then you had to wait like another hour or two for guns N' Roses to come on because that's what they did back then and and it turned out well, we, we can't stay for the whole show because someone's mother or someone's picking us up in a van. I'm like, y'all can go. I'm going to stay. It's like, but then they made me leave, so I never got to see Guns N' Roses do Paradise City. To this day, it makes me angry. I brought that up before. I don't care. It still makes me angry. By the way, they use they use a lot of Guns N' Roses in the Thor movie. <laughs> just, I mean, a lot. I mean, it's almost it's almost a bit too much. Anyway, so that was the fun stuff in the episode. Head scratching stuff for me. It was kind of uh, so. Eleven's gonna help Max from this makeshift sensory deprivation tub in the back of a pizzeria. Um, okay. I I mean, I I, I, I remember all the seasons. I know this is her her ability, and she goes in that weird, you know, it's that weird staging where it's like, okay, so it's basically it's like, well, it's like, it's like waiting for Godot, like, you know. Black set where she suddenly pops up and she's there, but they don't know she's there. And uh, uh, I kept I kept going. Is she actually going to get involved here? And then she finally did. So, but the, the, I think the really strong stuff is the is the Lucas and Mac stuff and what happens during that. And and, and I do not mean the Jason stuff. Right. I was uh, almost. I almost want to say the less said about that, the better. But I, I thought it was the, a lot of the Lucas Max stuff was kind of like the strongest stuff. And, and I know, and I am, just to be clear for anyone who's, for anyone who's listening, you know, for, for those who, um, I am skipping over things deliberately here because they're going to be topics we're going to be talking about a little bit later. So, you know, there's some major things I kind of, I, I deliberately left out because we, we, we're going to talk about later. I said it wasn't a scene, a scene recap.
1: Hey, l- like the kids, we have a plan.
0: Yeah, we have a plan. I mean, <laughs> it might not work out as well. But we'll see. But you know, we've got some major story beats that go on for the rest of this episode. Obviously the you know, the big one being like, well, the, ones being like the death of Eddie after he goes back to the upside down to a yen on the bats, only this time by himself. Then you have the eleven versus Vecna stuff as Max is used, then killed, and brought back to life. Sort of. Because then they won, no, they lost. Because apparently in that minute of Max being dead, that was long enough for the gates to be opened. So regardless of it appearing that Steve and Nancy and Robin destroyed Vecta in the Upside Down, it was pretty much a case of closing the barn doors after the evil world slaughtering horses have already escaped. Because then we see, towards the end of the episode and then end of the season, massive lava and brimstone-crusted fissures are ripping through the town of Hawkins, destroying homes and buildings and streets, and that jerk Jason, and <laughs> and pretty much real estate values for the entire area. And at the end, everyone reunites at the end, even Joyce and Hopper return after defeating the creature or whatever, Demogorgon. But the town is barely standing, and evil is literally on the horizon. <laughs> Said literally again, as we end on a cliffhanger, and the cliffhanger is when exactly is the show going to come back? Is it twenty twenty four? it twenty twenty five? So that's it for the recapping, so to speak. I told you I was doing it quickly cause I want to. I want to talk. I want to get into conversations here. Now we already were. Ta- we already talked a little bit about Eddie. So I, I I think let's I want to, I want to circle back to him because I think there's more to be said there, certainly more to be said there and there's even maybe a point of possible contention here depending on one's POV. I'm looking at Eddie Munson and his journey and whether it was ultimately heroic or not. And you had mentioned. One of the interesting things about this season, and the season and the show overall, not just the season, but the you know, is how it can focus on different types of groups of people. I'll say it's, it's like all the different tables you'd see in a high school. They've covered they cover each they, they cover each one. And then they cover Sometimes they cover multiple of them. You know, it's 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 the freaks and geeks phenomenon. Sort of oh, speaking.
1: yeah. I you know? mean, you have you, you even have, I forgot earlier. They also have the stoners. You know, right. you, you throw a bone to the stoners.
0: So now the, the thing with Eddie. Now Eddie was like the first major representative of like you know he's not obviously he was involved in the whole D&D thing he was you know what's the he was the dungeon master for the, yeah. for the fire club. But obviously, he's also, he's, and, and he also a, he got a little bit of the drug thing with him, cause he's the guy, you know, getting, you know, like, <laughs> you know kind of dealing a little bit there, a little bit. That's what kind of starts us off, you know, in the, in the very first episode with him and, uh, what's her name? Cindy? Um, but it's the metalhead thing. Like you were saying, you know, the guys were, you know, it wasn't, you, and quite often, it wasn't just sometimes that they were wearing, like, the, the denim jackets, it was, a lot of times it was like the denim jacket vests. <laughs> -hmm. And all the patches and the buttons and whatever we all we all if we weren't them ourselves we knew them or we hung out with them at least at least probably you and I did. Um, So what all these groups have in common? And I'm kind of and I don't mean the jocks because they would not fall into this category, which is probably why outside of Lucas and Lucas is not really a jock to begin with. His storyline is he's tr- he tries to be and realizes like that's not where he fits. That's there. That he he can't be himself there. All these other groups are about people being themselves. Um, they're all a form of an outsider, all of them. So is what eventually, and, and and Eddie is the epitome of it because he's the he's also the outsider to the viewer. He's the new he's the new major character that a lot of the story. Is initially pinned on and revolves around. He's the su- he's the prime suspect. He's the one everyone's seeking. He's the one that we know is innocent of what's happened. So it's the classic, you know, the wrong man, you know, in, being pursued. Whatever, you know. It's it's Hitchcockian. I tell you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's. Very, yeah, I just made a. I just compared Eddie to Cary Grant. Anyway, um. So my question is. We see what he does and and how are and you can we can see the evolution of his character or how he changes based on the people around him and how he feels uh, a lot of it towards Dustin especially whatever and what he ultimately does and a lot of people when when that happened when they, and their initial reactions and what they said online and here and over they talked about it, you know how heroic it was. My question is. I'm not saying that for the character in his mind, he wasn't being heroic. But taking an outside point of view, was the show doing the right thing by having him be sacrificed the way they did? Or does it sort of come off a little badly because really you bring in the, you know, he's, he's like the outsider. And what happens to the outsider by the end of this? You kill him off. You know, it's almost, it's it's you know it's 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 not quite like fridging somebody, and if you know if if anybody you mm-hmm. know what that means out there, and it's not that kind of a situation, but yet it's sort of it it's it's on that same track. So I, I had a, I really I kept and especially and, I'll, and then I'll shut up and let you say what you how you feel about this, especially when you consider that no one else practically no one else will know what happened, what he did. So he will always be viewed by the populace and whatever as a villain, even though we know he wasn't.
1: Um, I have mixed feelings about it. And I'll tell you, my negative feelings are that in many ways, Eddie got red shirted to save the main cast that, that to not kill. I, I mean, our question was who would survive, who wouldn't die. They introduced this character And he's less of a shock to the system to lose him than, than to lose one of our main players. So I I think it, it, there is sort of a cop out to that, uh, that he's the easy mark and they took the easy mark. Now his journey throughout the season, he was sort of the cowardly lion. um, And for him to make a stand at the moment he did, for his character arc made sense. Um, uh, but I think he almost had, uh, uh there was almost an Al Swearengen problem with this character that when Ian McShane, you know, started on Deadwood, he became so good that in undeniable, they made him a co-lead, you know, with Timothy Oliphant, that Timothy Oliphant was going to be the star of Deadwood, mm-hmm. And Ian McShane was so amazing that his role grew to sort of, you know, join hands with Timothy Oliphant. Um, Eddie Munson probably was more popular and more successful than they thought he would be. And um, he brought such such an amazing uh, amount of energy and vitality to that role that when, by the time they killed him, you know, it was probably a bigger loss than they intended. Um, but his journey made sense to me for his character, but I think the arc they designed was sort of a cop out. So that, that, that's sort of where I stand on it. I think the, the, the guy who did it, uh, was amazing. Uh, The work he did was amazing. Um one of the probably maybe the most emotional I got even more than the max stuff was Dustin dealing with the loss of Eddie. Uh, Cause we all care about the ultimate outsider, even in that group's Dustin, Dustin sort of the one that gets picked on that the most, and for him to lose like sort of his big brother type character for this season uh, was heartbreaking. Uh, so, you know, those are my thoughts. I, I, I agree with the criticism but I do, don't think that that his death came out of nowhere based on based on his character arc. And for him, I do think you know he played the music. He'd ha- he'd had enough and decided it was time for him to be brave. And he was brave in that moment after being sort of a coward the, most of the season.
0: Right, and and I wouldn't say it. I agree. I wouldn't. And I wouldn't have said it comes out of nowhere. Um, I kind of, in fact, it's the opposite for me. I kind of, like, I, I felt like the writing was on the wall, and I, was, I kept going, guys, don't do that. You don't, it's, there are, speaking, here I go again, the writing perspective, the story perspective in general. I would look at it as, is this death a necessary death? Does it, does it bring the story of this character full circle to a point of satisfaction where I was like, okay, that, that journey made sense and it, and it resolved the way I believe it should have. And I can't say that about Eddie's character. Uh, I, I can, because I don't think his character as a, sometimes you'll see something I mean, I, have, I always say, well, he or she or whoever had to die for I didn't think he, they, they had to kill that character. I think that it could have, we could have gone beyond that. But they did what they did, and like you said, it's kind of, in a little bit, it is kind of an easy way out. Um, I I feel like we're we're probably going to get into this a little bit more, uh, again, later in the podcast, because I I tend to be repetitive, but it does occur to me that, okay, so you killed the all-new character. You then, okay, who's the next one who gets close to killed? It's the character you just introduced in the previous season, but all the stalwarts from from season one on, they're all fine.
1: I I yeah, and, and that was the I problem I had. It and and I believe, I mean, for me and, and you know, people will probably riot when I say this. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I I'm not the Duffer Brothers. I'm not a genius, but in my mind, to carry the story forward, my thoughts were. I, I didn't like the cop out with Max being dead a minute and that opens the door. Like I said to Quentin, my son, he, and he yeah. got mad at me. I said, I think Max should have really died. Like, I, I don't think she should come back. I think 11 should have tried to save her and not save her. If, if we're going to open the door and hell's coming to her, she should have died. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, I think if you want a meaningful death for a character that hasn't been from the very start, but could have had more of an effect. You could have lost Robin, and that could have either driven Steve and Nancy together or split them apart for good and made her decide to want to be with Jonathan or just be on her own or whatever. Um, And she's a great character and a great actor. But it it just seemed like all the people around Vecna in in the blast radius of the most danger survived, and someone further away got killed. Right and
0: yeah, it, it, it's, a little, it, it's a it's a it's a little, it's almost reminiscent of that. Uh, I, was about to, I was about to compare it to a uh, Game of Thrones episode for a second there, but they actually killed more people in that, so I won't use that. Um Without even, I don't even need to get into the reasoning why, but I'll just simply say there are. I think there's really obvious reasons why they would not have killed Robin. They wouldn't have done it. I mentioned fridging before. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, yeah, believer, no, no, and I understand the, the, the sensitivity of it, yeah. but it, at the bare minimum, at the bare minimum for me, if you're if they're going to lose and hell's going to open, Max shouldn't be in a coma, Max should have been gone. No,
0: I agree with the Max thing. The thing is, I know that at least some of the listeners uh, and one, one of our co-hosts, uh, I'm going to call it our former co-host, no, I'm just kidding, is uh, <laughs> uh, a, a Buffy fan. Tell you something about Buffy. Say what you want. Say how some things maybe effect wise or whatever doesn't hold up, or or people are like, oh no, we can't like anything that Joss Whedon did. Once upon a time, get over it. Um, as far as what he, as far as the TV shows are concerned, not what he did behind the scenes. Um, Buffy didn't shy away from killing people off, right? And characters that people cared about, or doing things to them. You know, like, <laughs> one of these podcasts, I was just talking about something. Oh, it was during the. Um, who got their eye popped out? Queen Maeve. Okay. <laughs> Maybe think of Xander in the final season of Buffy. Loses an eye. So, uh, but well, will uh, And I'm going to get into... An, uh, in, in a moment, we'll get into why I really kind of wish they had gone that route. Um, but Max would have been the, what made the sense story-wise. But quite frankly, I can give you a whole bunch of people I wouldn't to mind as to seeing Kane killed off the season. But we're not... Let's, we'll get there in a, in a moment. But first, just like... Just like the needless derailment of the storyline in the show, I'm going to do that to the podcast as well with the Russian storyline.
1: Boy, so here's
0: my next question. Uh, your eye might have already answered it for me. And oh, and by the way, this isn't us. I, I, Brian and I, I'm, I'm, even though we haven't actually had a conversation about this as of yet, I, we both like the show when we like this season, a lot. But it's going to be more interesting and, quite frankly, more fun to talk about the things we're going to be critical of than the things that we love. We're going to talk about things that we love, too. Don't worry, guys. Okay, so you're like, oh, I, I didn't I didn't put this on to hear you dump on it. I know everyone else got a podcast. I can listen to them rave about it. Okay, does our affection for the characters like Hopper, Joyce, Murray, even those Ruskies, does that make this a worthwhile storyline that was even remotely satisfying or compelling? Or... Does it feel like it's just too strongly disconnected from everything else? That And go on.
1: Uh, I, it's the latter. And I, I think I said last time, um, you know, my feelings when we podcasted about the first part of the season uh, weren't changed after watching the last two episodes. Mm-hmm. That 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 I felt like this was a two or three episode arc that that they could have done and taken them back to the kids and, and Hawkins in a more meaningful way. And, and you know, the, the uh, don't get me wrong, there's nothing against David Harbour, nothing against Winona Ryder. I, I think they're, you know, they were fine. It, it's that this was drawn out way too far. And, you know, the scene of him using the Conan sword to... You know, kill the, the Demogorgon. Cool, good cinematography. Uh, I, I, I didn't sit and hate it, but I felt like the story going on back, you know, back in the good old USA was much more compelling, and I wanted to get back to that when they went to Russia. It did not hold up its end of the weight.
0: Yeah. Everything you just said. It, it goes on way too long. It... Even even if it is even if it was and it said that it's that the stuff with the demogorgon related to Vecna and the horrors that were going on in Hawkins, I'm sorry. It just it never felt that way. It never it never felt like what they were doing here was impacting what was going on in Hawkins. And if I and if I just didn't if I, if I just ch- didn't interpret it that way, and maybe I didn't pick up on how it does have any impact there, and I just missed that. I apologize. Maybe I was watching that episode too far too late because it went on for like eighteen hours. But I like all those actors involved. I mean, the guy who played—I oh, didn't have—I don't have his name in front of me. I had it last time. The, the, the usually comedic actor who plays Murray uh, obviously steals every moment he's on screen, which is oh, yeah. great, whatever. And I really do like David Harbour a lot. And I remember having a crush on Winona Ryder once upon a time like for like five minutes. And then I saw Heathers and I hated it. So I didn't want to. I'm, I'm like, the only guy who hates Heathers, apparently. Um, it just it felt like a waste of my time. And I was like, it, if, did this, this whole thing was just about getting him to be, to be back there. That's all. That's all that's accomplished by it, and you, you add up. Is there like an hour's worth of time? An hour and a half? Two hours worth of this? The show is devoted to all this. I thought you just wasted, and and then you and you also you wasted Winona Ryder. Quite frankly, think about how good Winona Ryder was in the first season of the show. and how, how much she was utilized, and she's totally sidelined. But there's a lot of sidelining that goes on this season. But we're 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 going to get to there.
1: Uh, I I think there would have been a way to show what was happening in Russia was the beginning of what was happening in Hawkins to mm-hmm. sort of to sort of make the story show you this is like an existential threat to the whole world. Yes. And that it's not just happening here, but it's starting to happen there, and Vecna's growing, and he's going to consume the whole world. A- and sort of the demogorgon, the lab, and all that stuff sort of tiptoes around it but doesn't really make a compelling case that, that this is an existential threat this far away. It just sort of seems like an 80s prison movie where, like, you know, the inmates get abused and, and thrown to the animals or, you know, have to fight gladiator style against monsters. And, um, you know, the, the, the things, that, and to be fair, the things that I liked about it, um, and I think you and I talked about this, like where you see David Harbour take his shirt off, and you then fully see the, the amount of abuse he's endured, like that, that, that was very effective, short storytelling that made a a point of something very deep that he's going to be scarred forever by what happened there. Um, but you know, but then you have 20 minutes of some dude not starting the helicopter because he pulled a spark plug and, and keeps going, I'm Yuri. And about like the 20th time, I just wanted him to shoot him in the head, like I was done with Yuri.
0: Right, right, yeah. It, it's it, it just it felt inco- inconsequential to what was going on, and either it was truly part and connected to everything, either that was like either there was supposed to be a gate opening there as well, or or whatever was going on because of those creatures weren't there anymore. So, like, but you know what? It, they didn't land it then. Because it didn't it didn't land with that kind of impact as I was watching. It was like okay, he he killed the, he killed the big creature and they leave again. Okay, great. So they basically broken in and out and in and out and out and then I like, oh good, they'll show up in the last five minutes, which is exactly what happens. All right, so let me you know we we do good stuff we do bad stuff. Let's switch to I'm gonna switch to something which I actually kind of liked how they ultimately handled. Um, cuz ultimately i'm going to say that they i think they did a a, a decent to good job handling the will storyline cuz this was something that you know using the phrase afterthought it could have been an afterthought but if you look closely they kind of you know they've kind of planted this and it's this kind of been you know kind of growing since that first season now this being an 80s series in style and homage you know, homages and whatever but also it's being made now so that they do have to have a bit of a 21st century sensibility. But you got to deal with the fact that to some extent, the, the travails of being gay in 80s suburbia, like they did with Robin, but it's going to be different for a character like Will and you know, I'm sure the writers remembered as well as anyone watched anyone of a certain age watching, there would be a much more of an unfair additional stigma. A t- that a teen a teen boy would feel about his homosexuality and coming out about it or even coming to grips with him himself being you know admitting it to himself keep in mind this is right in the major midst of the when the AIDS crisis had exploded in this country it was in totally full bore. so the, the stigma stigma of, of being you know a, a, a gay male was far more than it had been even you know ten years earlier you know. Because now you weren't just someone that, you know, maybe people mocked or whatever. You were someone that people thought uh, was dangerous. So it's... And the key scene is it's the scene with his brother. And that scene with Jonathan almost, almost makes up for the fact that Jonathan was largely useless and wasted this entire season. But that one scene between the two brothers, and when when you realize... The, you, you, you had realized earlier, I think, when you see Jonathan watching his brother in in the rearview mirror of the car and how he's reacting to stuff going on with Mike and, and talking about Eleven, and you realize Jonathan's picking up on what's going on here. And, that, and, that, and actually, in that moment, I, I remember as I was watching, I was going, see... Jonathan's really can be a good character if you use him you, you, and then when we had that scene with them in the, in the back of the pizzeria, that to me is like one of the nicest best little scenes we have in the entire series. Um, but again, I don't know if one scene for Jonathan makes up for the fact he just was kind of wasted. It kind of, I felt I felt like he was he was it was one of a few characters I thought were just useless.
1: I, I think that I hope they're setting him up for a better role being a supportive brother next season mm-hmm. and in a bigger part um, because I mean him and the pizza delivery guy uh, you know sort of were the stoner bros mm-hmm. this season that drove around you know high and but the, the stuff with will in the van and at the pizzeria um, was really touching and, and, and in true 80s fashion, like it, it wasn't too uh, obvious, like it wasn't on the nose, like he just sort of gave Will a vague statement of support to sort of let him know. And I think the way they've handled the issue around being gay in the 80s has been done really well, because even when we think back to Robin approaching her crush and the nervousness and the fear and that's another group. I mean, think about the band kids, like, mm-hmm. you know, high band school, kids. the band kids, oh, yeah. uh, you know, a group, uh, a group I was in, I was in band too. Uh, so, um, you, you know, like you had to be careful uh, back then and, and, you know, probably, probably still in places and times have to be careful now, but when you're in a place where nobody can be out you know, you have to be real sure before you take that leap of faith to declare who you are really to someone. Um, They showed that really well with Robin and they're showing will struggle with it. I think those storylines have been powerful and the stuff with will, uh, especially with Jonathan, when Jonathan finally says, you know, I feel like we haven't been talking and, and sort of is is the the big brother you want you know the the big brother that that tells you no matter what you know I've got your back and I love you and I thought that was one of the the high points of the season it but like you say, it's surprising, it's one of the high points of the season, and Jonathan really wasn't that involved but but you know i the the positive of it is is I really loved it, and my heart broke for will and and I thought it was done super well. And the, the shot, I mean, one of, the, one of the most heartbreaking moments was the shot where they go from inside the van to outside the van. And he's turned away and nobody can see him, but he's turned away because he's not going to cry in front of everybody. But where Jonathan's sitting, he can see him, and he knows what's happening. He knows his brother. He knows something's wrong. And I, and I, so I, I, thought that that was done beautifully. I just hope Jonathan gets more to do in next season.
0: Right, and 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 as you're watching the season proceed, uh, I was starting to feel more and more sympathy and empathy and all the pathies uh, for Will because it, it's not just everything we've already spoken about, but realizing because he's been relocated. And so he's in this, you know, this area. So and his best, and, and either he just, view, either he views Mike as his best friend or, or something more, or, or wished for something more. However you want to look at it, he's not there. So and you realize that if he's been dealing with this, we again, either he's how cognizant of it he is himself or not, we can only guess at. Um, but the feeling more is, we would talk about all those outsiders, how alone he must feel that. Right now, there's no table for him, so to speak, you know. Right. At not at that time. Now there would be, but not. But in 1980, was it 1986, 1987? Yeah. Thinking, was it? 86. six. Yeah. In an era like you're not going to have a table like that.
1: And, and and sort of sort of the 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 really sad thing about Will's character is, and they've not said it expressly, but I, I wonder if it will come out, is because. Um, because of the way he felt his confusion, his isolation, is that the reason Vecna is particularly tied to him and was tied to him in season one, Mm -hmm. that, that even in a group of outsiders, he couldn't be a hundred percent himself. Um, so, because, you know, you have that sort of fear where he sort of rubs the back of his neck when they're in Hawkins, like, like he feels something that, that sort of sense of, not being able to be your true self and hiding stuff and Vecna, you know, finding weaknesses in you that, that is that, is that the whole reason Vecna centered on him to begin with? Uh, And I think there's a real chance to do a really great sort of, you know, him becoming the strongest one if he embraces himself and maybe being the one that ultimately defeats Vecna or breaks the, the the connection with Vecna or somehow, Um, but you know, I think about that as, as being sort of maybe possibly part of the more tragic story and why, uh, you know, the more alone and isolated he is, the more vulnerable he is, uh, it, will that be where we go? I don't know, but, but really, I think in past seasons we talked, maybe Will was underused. Uh, I thought this season, even though they were separated and I didn't love everything with the group being separated in the way they did it, his story was compelling right. and, and I thought done and, and the, the actor did a, did a wonderful job.
0: See, I, I was also thinking that, you know, in his, his, story and how sad it was and how lonely he is so and i was thinking, oh that's the explanation for these years of self-abuse that he's obviously doing because of his bad haircuts from season to season which gets progressively worse and because it, they they become more harder to explain away the older he gets you can have the silly little bull haircut whatever when you're like 11 or 12 or whatever eh, here you go and you're, you're you're hitting the high school years dude <laughs>
1: Hey man, when your mom's in Russia, you just grab a ball, okay? <laughs>
0: lick the ball, lick the ball. Now, talking all about characters like Jonathan feeling kind of useless, I thought it was kind of odd, but uh, but just, just the way the storyline broke this season, that Mike, Mike, who at one time seemed so central to the show, he was kind of like the E.T.s Elliot on the show. Kind of, sort of, felt kind of, once again, I'm going to use the word again because I love it so much, kind of felt largely inconsequential as well. I mean, yeah, I know he was there to be the pep squad for 11, inspired to keep fighting, and, you know, and, and Will, for whatever reason, was insisting that he was the heart of the group. But I don't really think we feel that way about him. Again, the actor, he's great. Uh, he's got that great name. What was it Finn, Finn w- Wolfstead? You know, he's got a great name. I'm just waiting for him to do a sequel to Howard Stern's Private Parts, or maybe he'll do the definitive Joey Ramone biopic, or something. So I think he'd be perfect for either of those roles. But I don't know if, if this season he really had much of an impact on viewers as much as just being a device. Whether he's the object of Will's, you know, sad, forlorn, you know, attitude, or whatever the hell his relationship is with Eleven. It just seemed kind of like eh. that's why like everything dealing with them just didn't feel like it meant anything to me. I was just like, okay, I mean, I was I was spending more time being amused by Argyle than really being interested in any of those characters, you know.
1: Yeah, I I think the 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 California contingent of of the group until the stuff with with Will hit was was sort of a miss, uh, yeah. a, and and not until. You know, sort of similar to the Russia story, the time it took them to get to 11 was a a little much for the journey that it showed them go upon. Uh, I mean, there were amusing side parts, as I said last time. I think the sort of implied Mormon hacking stuff was an amusing scene for the sort of keystone caper in the house. But but the, the weight of what they did didn't feel that heavy. Uh, I mean, really, the, the other group of kids back in Hawkins and Eleven's story were sort of hefty. And and while this was sort of funny, um, it wasn't serious or comedic relief enough to justify the time spent on it.
0: Right. That that's I, I felt the same way. When people talk about how long these episodes were, um, if you were going to be making any kind of judicious cuts to – you know, all, how many episodes were there? A total nine, nine of the episodes total. Um, these, the, these two stories that you mentioned would be the ones that would be the, quite frankly, be the easiest to jettison most for the most part. Again, I, it's not that they're not enjoyable. It was just kind of, it, it I, I, for me, it kind of dragged things down at times because it wasn't terribly compelling at times for me.
1: And, and I want to say, I want to say if, if... If I, it sounds like we're being negative, um, I, I would like to say this. None of this is because of the acting. The kids did great and mm-hmm. the acting was great. It's it's I think sort of our criticism is more with the writing and not the not the it's, acting. It,
0: it's pat, it, it's pat, to me. it's It, it felt like you're, you're padding the story with stuff that it doesn't really um, it, it just it felt like it felt it felt like it, it was like an earlier draft and it needed to be chiseled down more. But you have these great kid actors, and you want to use them. But but at the end of the day, I was like, "But did you like the actor play Jonathan? Did you really utilize him well outside of that one scene?" Eh. But he got to he got to play he got to play the high kid a couple of times. He got to channel channel his inner fast times at Ridgemont High or something. Yeah, Spicoli. You know, or, or you know, the two of them are like they were—they were. They it's not like these guys were Cheech and Chong here or something. So I, I will say I was amused.
1: But before we jump off, I will end on a positive note. I was amused that apparently there's a secret society of surf pizza. That you know, if 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 you show up at a surf pizza and you're a surf pizza guy you know, you have access, you have the keys to the kingdom.
0: So, yeah, you know, But they the, lost the password's me. a bag of weed. So they, they lost me with the pineapple, man. They lost me with the pineapple. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an abomination. Um, I'm maybe a little bit more negativity, but not about them, but I'm trying here guys, but you know, whatever. I'm going to, let's shift over. I'm going to shift over to some of the, the, the folks in Hawkins, because we, you know, that's where I think our interest mainly lied for most of the season. So, but again, I want to look at things and see how we feel about it. Because maybe, and again, we may end up being positive about it. Steve. Now, I think Steve, now we've had four seasons. I think Steve is probably one of the best characters in the entire series. He's definitely evolved. We've definitely seen how this character has changed from season to season um, and how he could have been just, oh, the jerk. And he became one of our most favorite characters on the show. Like, he's the Sawyer of the show, kind of, you know. <laughs> um, however, is a, and again, there's a question. Did all the bellwethers of him getting back together with Nancy, ultimately, did it end up coming off as a waste of time? Ruby being hit with red herrings? Or, and I already know what the answer is, as I say this, do we just think this is something that's going to come to fruition in whenever that next season is going to be? I'm just trying to, de- I'm just trying to determine or guess or how we feel is the way I look at it. Is this falsely generated conflict or not? Is it? So how, how did you feel about what they were doing here? And do you think, do you think that this is where they're going to pick up? they just, Oh, they're just, they're just laying the groundwork for these two to get back together in the following season or, or not.
1: I think it's possible. Um, I don't know that it's a foregone conclusion. Um, but I believe what they did this season, I liked, I don't have a problem with, and that's because I think season one or two, Steve would have forced getting back together with her. And this season, you see his evolution that he really is a more thoughtful, nice guy. And so, so I think the, we as viewers want maybe to see them together. Some of us do that. They're a great couple. Um, and so, you know, we're putting our expectations onto them, but his character is not the Steve of past seasons. And because of that, like he's really focused on the plan. He's also demonstrated he can have a real friendship with Robin who he has no sexual, you know, chemistry with whatsoever. Um, you know, and they go so far as to make the joke, like, you're not, you don't like her. No, no. And I don't like him. No, y- you know, like you see an evolved Steve. And because of that, the way it played out, I thought spoke volumes about what they were telling you about him. And so I liked it because he, he, he in many ways has sort of become like the Superman of the group. He's the, he's the face, the hero. Um, and this season, like, really didn't do you know any morally morally questionable things. He he always took the high road, and you know made made us you know love him even more. So I I don't have a problem with it. I think if they do get back together, it may be because he was a nice guy and not the old Steve.
0: I think it's my only concern. If I, if I was to be concerned about you know the the shipping of these two, so to speak, is that I, I want it to be a situation, that, and maybe it will be when we get to season five if we're going to go down this road. Because the underuse and and the, the stonerization of Jonathan made it a lot easier for us to go. Oh, she should she should be with Steve. Look at look, look what Steve is now. Look how he's, you know he, look how much how he's become such a much better person uh, uh, overall. That's the person she should be with. Meanwhile, we, we end the stuff. Jonathan and, um, Nancy, where even at the very right end, and I actually did like the touch, this touch, where the, there was an opportunity for honesty, and it's not taken. And there's still, there's still a lie, there's still a major lie between them. Which, and, and it, that lie between them is what, is why I think that they, they're gonna go that route in the next season. Again, we don't ultimately know what'll happen. They might kill one of them, because if it's the final season, you better kill some of these people. I'm sorry. Just kidding. Um. <laughs> We all we all have our bloodlust in the final seasons of all shows we watch. They better kill so and um, so. But um, okay, so it sounds like we are going to be or, um, you, or you are because I haven't even given my opinion. Um, we enjoyed the scenes and the interactions, and we think it's and we it makes sense, and we that that I, I agree. I really liked. Steve scenes with with Nancy, and I'm quite frankly, I'm not the biggest Nancy fan to begin with. Like between you and me, I think Steve can do better, but that's just <laughs> me. Um, but you know, it was like, oh, these crazy kids. They'll figure out a way to work it out, whatever. So we shall see. Oh, the, the one thing I think I failed just it just pops in my head while we were talking when you brought up Robin again. Um, the uh, it's one thing I didn't, t- didn't touch on when we were talking about will before uh, the very different paths they had they both took as far as their homosexuality is. Um, obviously there is uh, an age difference between them, so that and that I'm sure that's a factor if we we didn't see Robin at the same age as will um, right but, but we are seeing Robin at a point in time like, okay, maybe she's not out and out about it, but she's she's out to people she knows, and she's yeah. comfortable with it. She's okay with, you know, that, 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 this is her, you know? Yeah. And that's why, and that's why, and she's trying, and she's picking up on signals from the girl from Ben or she thinks she is. And then maybe, well, maybe she's not, or maybe she is, <laughs> but right. it, there's something very real and precious about that. And it has, and it gets to the point of like, okay, this is something we all relate to regardless of of what, you know, what, where our sexual preferences or identities lie. it's Like it's, it's universal. Um for Will has, Will is nowhere near this yet. And, yeah,
1: well, uh, she she has reached a level of acceptance within herself. She's like she knows who she is, and I think early on we liked her character mm-hmm. because when we met her, she knew who she was, and you know, sort of told Steve off like right away, like you know, hey, you're barking up the wrong tree. Uh, she's uh, she she sort of came fully formed. Will still constructing who he is and uh, and I think there's a real opportunity next season for a pairing of those two yeah. uh, you know to to maybe see her mentor him give him advice or or him just or just be an example to him of how to maybe live more fearlessly and uh, so yeah I, I I think that's great and I, and I would add the the final the final thing about Steve and Nancy, I think another thing that that's good about the way they handled Steve that I liked is, you know, Steve knows she's with another guy and he doesn't try to break them up. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like a, 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 skeezy guy does that. And that's, that's to, you know, throw back an old reference since we're talking about in You show, you know, the term <laughs> skeezy. So you all you kids can call me grandpa. Um, but, you know, a, 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 a sly guy tries to, you know, mess with a dude's girlfriend. Steve doesn't like he he respects the bro code. He doesn't he doesn't try to hit on her because she's got a, a boyfriend. And right. uh, so I, I another reason I think his story made sense. So,
0: OK, there you go. Excellent. Now, then you have some that maybe thought that they didn't make sense. They just was like. Oh. So Jason and the basketball jocks. By the way, none of them really seemed all that tall to me. For for, for as <laughs> um, was this an eighties cliche that we really needed in this? Um, I kind of feel like the rather unceremonious way he's killed off kind of underscores the fact they kind of really added up to nothing more than just an irritating obstacle and nothing more than that. You know, like many, many, many have said before, I ever have. You know. You always in the show whatever the the theme of a the show is. You have good heroes, but you always need great villains even more. Vecna perhaps was one, but Jason and the Jerkoffs were not. That's so. Oh, that's that's the band I, I imagine they'd be playing
1: into. No, no, but but I think I th- I think the device of the, of the sort of basketball jock bully guys was, you know, as we as we touch all these '80s issues, the the sa- the satanic panic of the '80s. Jason sort of leads the city hall meeting, you know, about these guys being the hellfire club and bringing something bad to town that, you know, it, it would be, especially now with our sensibilities, it would be more difficult to maybe see like an adult white man doing what he would do to this group of kids who are strangers and outsiders. Mm -hmm. So you make it a contemporary person. So, you know, in in the 80s Ubra, who is that it's the jock
0: i don't disagree with that at all in fact you need i think you needed that because it also it, it, it helps propel a lot of the eddie eddie on the run storyline so i don't disagree yes. with any of that i think i just felt that you're what what i wanted them to do better is a lot of what they do in stranger things Seasons one, two, three, and four is, as we all know, they're riffing on things from the eighties, all, all, all across the board, um, and either they're subverting them or paying homage, or how, which depending what the thing is. And this, I thought, was an opportunity to, for some level of, ooh, is this a word? I hope it is subversion, <laughs> <laughs> because. There are a number of, you know, again, 80s movies where it's, you know, it's, you know, we, if it's college, it's it's the asshole fraternity. But if it's high school, it's it's always, it's, it's the, well, it's usually the football team is the most common right. one. But, you know, basketball, it could have been a goddamn lacrosse team. Who the hell cares? It's,
1: it's Indiana, man. It's basketball in Indiana. Right.
0: No, no, I totally, no, understood. I, I saw Hoosiers, motherfucker. There you go. Anyway. I think, think, think I only know basketball, uh, basically, anyway. Um... They had the opportunity to, at least with Jason, not maybe so, I, I, I don't care if, you know, basketball players, number two, three, and four, and yes, they gave them names, like the, especially when you have the one who gets all, you know, gets all bent out of shape. <laughs> bent out of shape. Oh, I don't want to say literally again. Make me stop. But <laughs> when it gets killed. Anyway, um, I do jason at least there was an opportunity to make him a little bit more interesting and i think they they, i mean i guess they felt they didn't have to it wasn't like okay but by not doing that even though he does take on the whole thing where he's propelling the whole satanic thing as far as you know how how he reads at the hellfire clubs and i I get that and, and he's so he he leads the hysteria as far as that's concerned right I just wish they had done just a little bit more to tap into his character and make him uh, j- just get, just give him a little bit more shadings there.
1: Yeah, but I, I, I agree. I, I mean, he wasn't only not two dimensional. He was one dimensional, like right. they, they could have at least made him two dimensional. You're, you're not going to make him three dimensional because he's clearly that stereotype of the eighties bully, you know, yep. but that, that they could have, uh, they could have made him sincere about something that, that gave him a a little more heft and, and, but, you know, I, I, you could only do so much, I guess. Yeah.
0: But, you know, maybe if they spent, you know, 10 minutes less in Russia, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of things like time. So final name, will this be the last negative thing? Maybe, I don't know. Did the overall extreme length of well the final episode specifically but even you can go beyond that did it kind of but the the finale do you think it might have been undercut as far as how impactful or satisfying as we might have preferred not just because it's like crazy long but we also knew that there was going to be a fifth season already so it kind of maybe cut down the level of stakes that we might have felt otherwise I kind of wish they had not announced that that there was going to be a fifth season. I wish, because a lot of times the shows, like we're even shows that we're watching, like we, I've not heard if there's going to be another season of Umbrella Academy. I've not heard if there's going to be another season of The Boy. We, we, well, we kind of know there's going to be, but you know, it wasn't officially announced or something. And if it was, I'm just forgetting it. Who cares? But they did make a big thing about saying there was going to be another season already. It's like, oh, well, then, then uh, we, 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 we know there's going to be more after this, so. That's, I mean, obviously I'm indicating that's how I felt, that I felt it kind of, it, it, it maybe this should have been broken up into multiple episodes and also, and, and trimmed down a bit more, but it kind of, I felt like it kind of got cut down by that a little. It didn't, so it didn't have the same, it didn't have the same impact for me that the finales from pre, some of the previous seasons did, actually, even though I really, even though it doesn't sound that way right now, I really did like the season, but I, I kind of, that, that was that was one of my issues with it, I think.
1: I, I didn't feel that way. Um, and the reason I, I think I didn't feel that way was, uh, the, the, it was tense. And I think in a way you could watch it and then look back at it and say, well, of course, you know, like there's going to be another season. So certain things aren't going to happen,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you know, until we watched both the episodes, we didn't know who lived or died. And, there was an expectation people would die. So I I was until it was over. uh, I I maintained my sense of uh, anxiety Mm -hmm. and it maintained it for me. I mean, the, 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 even the pacing, the, the, the long final episode when they were cutting back and forth between the kids Mm -hmm. and what they were doing, you know, it, it maintained a good pace. It was consistently, threatening and you know i mean i'll be honest with you like i thought it was possible lucas would save max and he would die i thought it was possible that you know either steve or nancy or robin would die uh you know i i'd more people made it out alive than i thought would but because we didn't know what was going to happen i did have anxiety throughout it i thought it was good um and I did like, I really like that, that, you know, it sort of had an empire ending, empire's ending where, you know, it, it, uh, uh, ended on a real dark note, you know, like, like the heroes survive the battle, uh, but, you know, things are not well. And, uh, so I, I so I, it, it didn't bother me. Um, and I, and I will say, and this is a show that, that, you know, was one of the first big, like, Hey, we're going to drop a whole season and people binge the shit out of it and fall in love with the binge model. Um, I thought there was some, something really cool about the, the brief split that I had an anticipation for the second half that I didn't have for the first half. Cause it'd been gone a while, mm-hmm. but once I got my taste and I had to wait, like, you know, when it came back, I was really jacked to watch those episodes. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really have the, the same feeling that, that you did uh, about it. I, I, I didn't feel like the stakes were lesser looking back on it. They probably were for that reason. But at the time I enjoyed it, I, I didn't have that sense.
0: I mean, I guess for me, I mean, I felt like we all, as we were saying earlier, we all knew that it was going to die. You know, even though we, I think we also agree that was probably a bad or even unfortunate decision, but other than you know Max being broken in in a coma, and you know what, what do we got? You know Dustin's tears. The the rest remain pretty much unaffected. You know, I mean Lucas got a few bruises, but with this fight with the douchebag, whatever. Again, I don't want us to make it sound like I want. I love the last one. Kill the kids. Kill the kids. But uh, <laughs> I guess that's not I,
1: what you want it to sound like. But kill the kids. Kill
0: the kids.
1: K I L L. Kill for kids. <laughs> come on, Vegna! At least make it a ball
0: game. <laughs> yeah, come on, Just lame. <laughs> no, some other some some other show we watched. You know, back to back episodes. They had major kills. This show, we wait years, nothing. You know, <laughs> uh, that's right. Other show, much better show. Anyway, <laughs> so I didn't say what it was. Don't want to be accused of spoiling something for people who haven't watched the show yet, because. Some people are dumb, so let me think about other odds and ends on the thing. Um, okay, so the we, we've we, obviously we've talked a lot about Eddie. The scene where Dustin runs into his uncle at the uh, when, with the thing the, where they're donating the, the time.
1: The and gym, money, like the, the where gym. they're gathered in the the school gym after the towns trying to sort of set up humanitarian or... center for all the stuff in
0: in light of the Earth opening up. So, I'm curious how you uh, to talk about that just for a moment, not too long. Doesn't deserve too much conversation. But and I love the kid playing Dustin. Uh, I, I I know the name begins with a G. Doesn't doesn't matter. No one's listening to the podcast that know actors' names at this point. Um. So I, I mean, again, acting wise, no problem. But. That the, there's a cert, there's a sad poignancy to it, but also it's also kind of frustrating for me because he has to he has to keep talking about it in these you know kind of almost winking winkingly vague terms. So he so he's sort of telling the truth, but about what happened to Eddie, but he's not. And I I, I am fine. I'm actually I'm actually differing with what. I've heard a few other friends of mine have said about it, because they were frustrated with the uncle not asking more questions, which would have. And I said, well, they didn't need to show us that, because he's get he's 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 emotionally hit, hit being hit with the truth that yes, he actually is dead. He's not he's not simply missing, and this this kid is now confirming that, and that he and nutty now supposedly he had some. um like what we were talking about for a, a heroic death, although he doesn't ever tell. Them, well, what what do you mean he was heroic? Did he save people from being you know falling into a chasm or something? You know, we, we can assume he, that Dustin maybe makes up some story if the uncle presses him when we when we move to another scene or something. I just found it found it weird. Like, oh, he's for, he's forced to keep to keep, to maintain the, uh, at least a certain amount of a lie because no one's going to believe this otherwise. So. It was a scene where I was initially getting kind of frustrated with it. And then the more I thought about it as it was playing out, it's like, no, there is another way to do this. And, but I did feel, so, but I did, I did like the fact they had the scene there. Again, I heard, I've heard from some people who thought they shouldn't have had the scene there at all as a reason, because of all that. I said, no, 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 because we need to see there's at least one person who wasn't part of that group who cared about Eddie, who wants to, nope. who, who, you know, that, that, that there was, he did leave someone behind that cared about him because otherwise we don't have that. So, and I think that's why that scene is there for me.
1: I, anybody who says that scene shouldn't be there is wrong. Uh, I'm going to come out with a Scott take. That's a Scott uh, take.
0: You're
1: right. <laughs> that's a Scott take. Uh, I'm th- thank you for your input. You're wrong. Um, but, uh, <laughs> oh, man. uh, but what, what, what I think's beautiful about that scene is something that as adults, you don't think about. This is a kid comforting a stranger that's an adult. Like that's a very weird spot as a kid to be trying to comfort an adult. And so Dustin's clearly uncomfortable trying to do it but feels like Eddie's story should be told. And, and I get, you can say maybe he just thought he was a hero and his death was pointless, but he was part of a plan and his part of the plan. He did it. Yep. He accomplished his part of the plan. And that part of the plan, uh, uh resulted in maybe Max surviving, maybe ultimately Vecna will be defeated so, even if he's not, you know, if he didn't shoot the game-winning shot, he was on the winning team, and he was a part of the team, and he did his part. And the way Dustin tells him, I found very credible for a kid trying to struggle with how to tell an adult something, and not sound like a raving lunatic, and just, you know, I mean, oh, hey, he he was fighting demon bats and playing Metallica, like, you know, nobody would believe that. And he was trying to comfort that man with the truth and get some comfort too from being able to tell Eddie's story. So I thought like if if I ranked the scenes this season that would be in my top 5. I loved that scene. I thought it was super well done. I thought the the, the uncle who we've never met I truly believed it, like his performance. Um, and it was nice to know uh, th- my favorite line was no one will ever know what he did. Like, right. he's like, they all think he was a bad guy, but he wasn't. And Dustin got that truth out there so that the uncle knows, like not everybody thought he was a bad guy. Somebody thought he was a hero. Right. And you know, what's more touching than a kid you don't know telling you somebody you love was a hero so i i i loved the scene and and i thought it was fantastic
0: right it was kind of like the stranger things version of like the the soldier showing up on your doorstep to tell you that you've lost you know what happened to your your son in in, in the war or something um, we did we, we we did meet the uncle earlier in the season it's not the first time we met him but other than that everything he said is spot on um I, I mean but he was so forgettable i forgot oh it. yeah yeah i just remember i just you know because. When we had met him before, he, he was kind of came off like as, as an asshole who wouldn't have get given a, given a fuck about Eddie. And here we see that wasn't true. That, was, that was a facade. Was, or maybe it was fueled by drinking beer or whatever, but he actually did care here, which I thought was, I actually, that's another reason why I like that because it took a character who earlier in the series in the brief moment seemed like, oh, another, here's another hackneyed cliche I've seen a million times before. And then they did something different when, when he's first reacting to Dustin before they have the whole conversation. I was like, "Oh, that's interesting. That's different." Always putting up the, "Oh, that's interesting. Okay, that's different. I really like that." Um, all right. Other than that, I mean, I don't really have really major quibbles beyond what I've already said. I mean, there's there's things that I that I've had issues with from day one, I'm I'm at this point after four seasons, I'm almost tired of uh, no, not almost. Excuse me, I'm tired of the gag with Mike and Nancy's parents. I mean, specifically their father being just just. I mean, I get that it's 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 always the same thing with him, but at a certain point, I'm like going, "Okay, is this going to build to the, the is the payoff to the joke that he's actually going to be cognizant of something in the final season?" <laughs> I guess that's what it is, and I keep thinking, "Oh, the wife, she was so good on Mad Men, and she." Don't, I don't really give her much to do on this show. All right, whatever. And I already, I already whined about the, all the evil army dudes and Owens and how they never. I was like, okay, I guess we just don't care about that, whatever. But um, the payoff
1: will be the dad gets a spike driven through his head next season. Oh yeah, that'll be the payoff. Oh, off, yeah. So
0: it's gonna be it's like some Freddy Krueger. And, and his it.
1: last words will be, "I don't know. I don't know what's happening. This isn't real." <laughs>
0: So, yeah, and and we'll see. Hey, you know what? Hey, maybe being a final season, maybe they will kill somebody off. I mean, they kill at least one or two kids in It. So you ought to be able to kill off one of these. Though. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not about bloodlust. It's fine. They should also serve. It's fine. It's fine. That's not why we're watching the show. I know. I'm just kidding. But I'm not kidding anymore. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but, if, if, but, if, but if Mike doesn't do shit in the next season, then yes, kill him. <laughs> and that'll get and then i will let them get all pissed off and then she'll just like, you know, blow up like half the world or something and then like, oh, is her name Vanya or or Victor? I'm not I'm not even sure anymore. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Anything else you wanna touch on before I start to wrap it up We, we didn't mention separate ways. No
1: Oh uh, that, that was fantastic. I mean, you know, that goes into my Duffer Brothers uh, excellent use of music. But I will say uh the Duffer Brothers came out strong. Season one was a cultural phenomenon. And I think this show was still popular. But it seems like to me that this season captured more of the zeitgeist than the previous two. With Kate Bush and Metallica, the, that this sort of it, it sort of caught the wind of the times in the right way and catapulted this show back up to a prominent place in the culture that maybe season two and three weren't. Um, but the thing that, that I'm just curious if if you think um, it seems like we one of the most interesting things we really have seen the Duffer brothers grow as filmmakers that that like we've mentioned a few times some of the stuff on this Netflix TV show looks like it would be freaking amazing on a big screen in a movie theater.
0: Correct. They also throw an ungodly amount of money per episode of the show. Uh, The things I've heard are like, what are you kidding? They spend more than supposedly Three times as much, more than three times as much money per episode of this show than Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones! With multiple countries and costumes and dragons and shit.
1: <laughs> well, you can spend more money when you don't have two, two dumbasses riding your show. So. <laughs> well,
0: I work, no, I know Pat never listens to the podcast. I'm not going to worry about that. He, he reads about everybody else's podcast. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely got... Um, I mean, it's not the only Netflix show that's got that kind of cinematic feel to it, but it's it's the biggest one. It's the one that feels like, okay, this would be real, you're right it's going with what you're saying. Wow, there there are scenes in this like all the stuff that happens in the upside down, especially the battle scenes and either be Eddie on you know, with the guitar or the the Mac stuff if I could see a 70 millimeter printer that somewhere, um, of course they don't really do 70 millimeter prints of anything anymore. Cause everything's digital. So kids, you don't know what you're missing. You just, you just don't know.
1: <laughs> so, 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 so my, my final question, okay. looking back at that time and looking forward in time to, to, to whenever the show comes back, if you, if you were buying stock in music, <laughs> <laughs> and you were to predict, because this show has made millions for Kate Bush and Metallica. Um, if you were to to guess, and if if you were the Duffer Brothers, what song would you pick for next season from that time frame? Oh man, I sprung that on you, and it's not fair.
0: Oh, you, and yeah, because I'm I'm bad at remembering. I don't know how great I'm going to be at remembering what came from what year in, in, in my head right now. Because they, they try to at least come close to the music matching roughly the, what time the show was taking place. And we were in, was it March of 86 this yeah. season? Something like that. But I, I guess they're going to, I, I imagine from the way they leave off the season, we're picking, we're, we're most, I would assume. And maybe I shouldn't, because we all know about the word "assume," that they're going to be picking up shortly after this. It's not going to be like a year later, where you know, because with, with everything was on the right. It looked like stuff was about
1: that. A year now, we
0: encounter the resistance against the demon armies. <laughs> right, um, but so I don't, I, I, have to, I don't remember what was out around then, because you know, like I could, I could spot out. Well, wow, maybe they might drop in with, it or maybe, maybe there'll be an in excess song or something like. No, uh, Scott, the album you're thinking of, that was two years later. Like, oh, I don't fucking remember, man. I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> Fuck you. Goddamn pop quiz, motherfucker. That's- um, pff, I'm just thinking about it. Uh, a lot of stuff from the 80s happened years ago. Technically it could be anything that happened that was done earlier and just show up again. So it could be a song from like a couple of years earlier that wouldn't really matter. You know, you can you can, you can use a Billy Idol song from like f- 3 years earlier if you wanted to. But I think they really want it to be like, the fact that they used that Master of Puppets song and it was within the same month it was actually released. And and at least with the Kate Bush thing, I don't do you know what you what when that song was originally released by the way eighty five I think the, but that works because it's like her favorite song so it, yes. it should have been a song that she'd been listening to like 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 for the past year or so so that works um, I I would uh, <laughs> I I almost want to just because she's not here. I almost want to say a Duran Duran
1: song. Duran Duran Duran. But
0: it sounds like I'm just sucking up to Jamie by saying that.
1: Okay. I, well, I, I will since I unfairly put you on the spot. I will tell you, Phil if, Collins. If,
0: it's got to be Phil Collins.
1: Anyway. Well, you know, you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting Phil Collins' song, and exactly. you know, in that time. But if I had to pick a 1986 song. That I would somehow work into the show next year. For me, I would go with "Don't Dream It's Over" by Crowded House.
0: Hmm. Okay. All right. I can see that. What year did "So" come out? Is that 86?
1: Uh, eighty-six. That eighty-six. You could. You could go. You know, Peter
0: Gabriel. Oh, well, if you're gonna do that, then you can bring back Kate Bush with "Don't Give Up."
1: Be- you could. That, that's that, I like that see that's a yeah. sequel to that's
0: a sequel within a sequel I yeah, like good. that yeah, I love that song yeah harder than you think it is to do in karaoke by the way oh I believe it well, yeah, yeah. I've, 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 I've wrecked myself on the rocks for that song a few years ago yeah um oh, good. I'm glad that I, that's right because soul had to be 86 I, yep. so, so is one of my top 10 albums of the 80s it well, actually so was one of my top 10 albums of all time period I, I'm a huge fan of that album.
1: And, and so, since we're talking concerts, I saw him. I saw Peter Gabriel on that tour.
0: Wow, I, I did not.
1: It was amazing.
0: <laughs> I did not. Why did I, I need to say that? All righty then. <laughs> as much as I, as, as much as I like, don't give up. I, I want to give up <laughs> dragging this podcast on any longer. <laughs> hey, guys and gals and everybody else. If you enjoyed this podcast, guess what? You'll enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page as well. It's the Serious TV Drama Podcast page. Like the page. Enjoying the conversation about TV series such as Stranger Things, Better Call Saul. Pretty much anything you can imagine we talk about there. Or we... Don't really talk that much there, but, you know. Where can you find us? If you're listening to us, you've already found us. But you need to find us again. You can find us on Spotify and Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe, rate, and review us. (laughs) But better still, you can just go to stvdpodcast.podbean.com, where all 355 episodes of our podcast are there. By the way, I don't think he's going to listen. Don't care. So a fellow podcaster posted a tweet. In the last 24 hours, not referring to us, but he came out against people numbering podcast episodes. He's being a smart ass. I know. I know he's just being a smart ass. But I, I just responded, dude, <laughs> you know, with, with, the, with the appropriate gif look, whatever. I was like, yeah, episodes of everything are numbered. Jesus Christ. No. They, they shouldn't number comic books. You have the number one issue? I don't know. It doesn't have a number on it. Anyway. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure. You know what you shouldn't we shouldn't number chapters either. You no, know, the the chapter with the guy. You know, you'll find it. You know, why why are we numbering pages? I don't understand. Anyway. Sorry. Uh, an unexpected red just popped into my head. <laughs> it's stranger things season, guess whatever. Yeah, pretty much. Another stranger thing would be if you actually followed us on Instagram. Our handle there is serious TV drama. We can't break 70 f- oh, I I'm so so angry about that. I spent so much time getting pictures on there. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is at STVD Podcast. That's STVD uh which stands for serious TV drama. And you know, if you like, I ha, I am keeping it open now because David Gotts used it a couple times now. You can email us if for some reason you want to do that. Our email address is stvdpodcast at gmail.com. It's, it's, it's a more legitimate email address than I have. Why did that happen? <laughs> I am st- I still have an Earthlink account. Oh, God. All right. The next time you hear this podcast, it should be covering the next episode of Better Call Saul, which will be titled Fun and Games. Um, I believe at least three. I'm pretty sure all four. Four of us are going to be talking about that one. That'll be next Tuesday, which means uh, I should just pencil in that the Yankees will lose next Tuesday <laughs> since I've recorded four podcasts in the last six or seven days, and each night I watch the Yankees, they lose horribly, record a podcast. It happened on Saturday, happened on Sunday, happened on Tuesday, it's happened tonight.
1: Unfortunately, the last two have been at least You know, my Reds have at least won those. So
0: you're 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 a little communist team one. I know (laughs) (laughs) team owner Warren Beatty, you are the the (laughs) Ivans. anyway. um, Brian, thank you so much for joining me tonight and getting finally getting this out of our system. Um, I I feel it was a fun listen. I don't know. I mean, definitely you were. (laughs) So thanks for being here.
1: Hey, I love the show. Enjoyed talking about it with you and and glad we got to have a conversation. So, always fun. And thanks for listening.
0: What he said. Good night, everybody.